This is Guns and Butter. thousand military bases worldwide we spend more on 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 weapons and, and and warfare than the rest of the world combined and we're in partnerships with nato so nato and the u.s with all these bases are the the protectors of global corporate capitalism they're the protectors of the world bank the neoliberal things that's that's the agenda that's the opposition those are the oppressors that we all collectively share I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Dr. Peter Phillips. Today's show, The American Media Empire of Managed News. Peter Phillips is Professor of Sociology at Sonoma State University, Director Emeritus of Project Censored, and Co-Editor of Project Censored's new Censored 2011, the top 25 censored news stories of the past year. He teaches classes in media censorship, investigative sociology, sociology of power, political sociology, and sociology of media. He has published 14 editions of Censored, Media Democracy in Action, the Project Censored Guide to Independent Media and Activism, and co-authored Impeach the President, The Case Against Bush and Cheney. Peter Phillips is president of the Media Freedom Foundation, a nonprofit corporation to support First Amendment organizations and investigative research. He spoke at the Understanding Deep Politics Conference in Santa Cruz, California on May 14, 2010. Peter Phillips. 35 years ago, when, we, when Project Censored was started, there were, at that time... 50 major media corporations in the United States that dominated the news. Over the years, we're now down to 10. So analysis of how come news stories aren't covered, um, one of the best was manufacturing consent by, by Noam Chomsky and Ed Herman that was done 21 years ago. And they talked about how the corporate media is, is locked into capitalism, that they're locked into advertisers, bottom line orientation for, for making money, that uh, they continue to consolidate, they, they support a, a strong market economy, and they tend to um, avoid certain types of stories um, because of their self-interest. And that was called the propaganda model, kind of a theoretical structural model of, of media. And that worked pretty good for, for quite a while. Um, we would use that, particularly in the 90s, early 90s. But since 9-11, we have a whole different understanding of what's going on in corporate media. Um, and it's more along the lines of a deliberate propaganda model of news and information. And we're going to cover some of the things that really lead us to that. I think one of the first issues that really got us thinking that there's something seriously wrong here, it's not just a structural issue, but it's deliberate, was how the, the ACLU in, in 2005 had been pushing the, the U.S. military, the Pentagon, to release autopsy reports of civilians who died in Iraq during the first two years of the war. And they, they had to threaten court. I mean, they really, they, they had the right under, under the Freedom of Information Act, but the Pentagon was really dragging their feet. Finally, they got copies of 44 autopsy reports. Now, these autopsy reports were the 
U.S. military doctors' examinations of the bodies after somebody died while in U.S. custody, civilians. So in October of 2005, they, they released a, a press release, and they said, well, of the 44 autopsy reports, 23 of those listed the cause of death as homicide. And these were multiple sites. And not, this wasn't just Abu Ghraib. I mean, it was multiple sites in Afghanistan and Iraq. The conditions of the body clearly indicated, and doctors had verified that, that these people were tortured to death. Extensive bruises, contortions, broken bones, strangulation, just really awful stuff. The rest of the, the, rest of the bodies, the rest of the autopsy resorts, the primary cause of death was heart failure while being tortured. And they were, you know, these were young people. So this was really, for, for the first time, absolute proof that we were torturing people to death on a wide scale, not just embarrassing them or having dogs snip at them and that, but really beating and killing people. And ACLU, with their press release, put, put this out, and, and, and it, AP picked it up. Associated Press, which reaches a billion people in the world, they put, they put this out on their wire service to all 1,700 daily newspapers uh, in the United States, to all 5,000 radio and television news programs across the country. And LexisNexis checks and, and further examination, we found out that 99.5% of them did not run the story. So L.A. Times had it on page A4. Seattle, Seattle paper had it buried inside a larger story in Iraq, and the rest were small Midwest papers that actually covered it. So that meant that 1,600-plus newspaper editors saw that story and decided not to run it. And we don't know why, but they just decided that maybe they thought it would be unseen as unpatriotic, or they would, the American people wouldn't believe it, that we were torturing people to death. Whatever the reason, we know that this was a factual decision. So this wasn't just the high levels of MSNBC or Fox or that making a decision. This was right down inside of grassroots media in the U.S. today. And that, that really kind of set us back a bit. And we started to think about what that means and the, the degree to which an American empire will go to, to propagate and, and push and continue to push you know, global capital power worldwide. We know that in the U.S. prisons, we have 2 million people incarcerated, most for nonviolent offenses. And that uh, we have a new story this year that came from Op-Ed News that talks about torture in prisons, beatings, isolations, imprisonment, uh, torture itself, electric shock, prolonged exposure to heat, shackled prisoners lying for hours in their own cells across the country. That's not how we think of ourselves as a society. We now know that the immigration controlled people, ICE, they are holding thousands of U.S. residents in unlisted and unmarked subfield offices. This came out of The Nation magazine this year. They admit that they have 186 unmarked subfield offices. Now, these are suburban offices, sometimes commercial spaces that are rented. It could be a room like this, where they would pack in hundreds of people and can hold them there for days with no facilities, no, no drinking water, I mean, no beds, just places to, to house people, to hold them, to lock them up. 
The goal this year, according to ICE uh, field director, is that they're going to uh, deport 400,000 people. That's their goal this year. This is, these are not just you know, criminals. They, they, they say they're targeting people who have done, done crimes, but th- this, is, this is their goal. That's, that's the goal. So you have a network across the country that utilizes local police to identify people, often based on the color of their skin, and then pulling them, literally pulling them off the street. In fact, there was this one quote from James Pendergraf, who was the executive director of ICE a couple of years ago. He said, if you don't have enough evidence to charge somebody criminally, but you think they're illegal, we can make them disappear. Now, <clears throat> the Obama administration has been expanding this controversial 287G program so that local police, and this is kind of the model for what's going on in Arizona. So we're building, we have a, we have a criminal justice system. We've got... Um, prisons all, all over. Now we have secret detention centers, and then these people are deported through um, deportation courts that there's no public access allowed. So if someone's picked up off the street, they don't get to see a lawyer. The family doesn't know where they are. They don't get to make a phone call. They're moved around from place to place and can actually dis- disappear. And that's the level to which the systems we're building in the U.S. operate. Now, Obama's also talking about doing DNA testing on not everybody that's convicted, but everybody who's arrested to build a DNA database on all people um, mixed in with law enforcement in the country. Now, this on top of the practices that have been going on since 2005 called Falcon, Federal and Local Cops Organized Nationally, which are nothing other than practices for mass arrests in this country. We have now mass arrests. We'll coordinate 960 agencies, federal, Justice Department, um, Homeland Security, FBI, Secret Service, IRS. Have, take a list. of The first list was 10,000 people, supposedly with felony arrest warrants. Coordinated with the, with the state police, county sheriff's office, your local SWAT teams, all under one structured, coordinated mechanism of mass arrest. Now, we've done that multiple times. Over 90,000 people as of, of, of this year have been arrested in these mass arrest practices. So not only can we make people disappear, but we have a coordinated, top-down mechanism for grabbing a whole lot of people really quickly. Those, those, those worry us. These are systems of oppression that can impact everybody. The fact that habeas corpus now can be suspended for any person in the United States based upon the decision of the president uh, that the person's an enemy of the state. So you don't have to have done anything. Obama can simply say that those people in conspiracy groups are untrustworthy, and here's their names, and they, they can be treated just like an illegal immigrant. And except immigrants aren't illegal. They just don't have papers. It's not against the law, technically. And they can be arrested and held without an attorney, without rights of habeas corpus. And that's law today. That's law. It's, on the, it's, it's established law. It's all been done under the Homeland Security and under the Bush administration, but Obama hasn't changed a thing. So we're moving in this direction where... 
Chris Hedges was interviewing Chomsky last month, and Chomsky's using the, the fascism word. He's saying that we have a serious problem. They're working more and more like the Weimar Republic in, in Germany in the 30s. And that, you know, this is where the you know, social democrats and the communists so basically disappeared, were killed and murdered. And the magnitude of murder is, very, is, is, is quite evident. With our invasion of Iraq, um, there's been three national surveys done on the number of civilian deaths in, in Iraq. Since, since the beginning of the war. Uh, two by Johns Hopkins University, 2003-2006, um, and then one by Opinion Business Research Group out of Great Britain. Now, these were surveys where they went out, the one in, in, in uh, 2007 went out, interviewed 2,400 families in Iraq in 15 of the 18 provinces. They didn't go into the most violent ones. And one of the questions was, uh, has someone in your family died from war violence? And they're able to extrapolate from that data at the 99% accuracy level the entire deaths in, in, in Iraq. And they said at that time, and this was 2007, that there's been one million civilian deaths in Iraq because of the war. Now, these aren't deaths because, you know, somebody got sick and died. These were war violence deaths. And this is a million people in excess of what had been the death rate under Saddam Hussein. Now, the John Hopkins study also asked people how they, how, how they died. And their 2006 survey was quite clear that half of them died either by aerial bombing or U.S. firefights. So we've killed a half a million people. Our forces have killed a half a million people in Iraq and displaced five million more. That's mass murder. I mean, that is mass killings of people. And you won't find those figures in any newspaper in the country. You won't see those figures in any television program. The million figure was reviewed, the methods were reviewed by MIT, the Nation magazine last January, a year ago January, published the results from the MIT's review, said, yep, million dead Iraqis. But it, didn't, it doesn't get carried out there, it doesn't get talked about, it doesn't get engaged. The level of people that are dying. Um, Instead, what we got a year ago, April, was a press release that came out of AP out of Baghdad that said government sources inside Baghdad say that the number of civilian casualties since at that time, they said 2005, were 87,000. And the total civilian casualties for the war were 110,000. Now that story ran nationwide last April. They re-released the same story in July and they re-release the same story again in October. That is deliberate lying. That is deliberate top-down propaganda. That's not just avoidance of a story like the torture stuff. This is deliberately misinforming us. Instead, in November 2008, the same time, just about the time they did, they, they had a story, people had a story that hundreds of stray dogs are killed in Baghdad. But we can't find out about the civilian death rates. That's top-down propaganda. That's deliberate. That's the Pentagon. That's the public relations firms that work for the Pentagon and the U.S. government. And this is global. This isn't just the U.S. I mean, our media systems are global. And we have to start thinking globally in, in terms of our resistance. 
You're listening to Professor of Sociology and President of the Media Freedom Foundation, Dr. Peter Phillips. Today's show, The American Media Empire of Managed News. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. The U.S. Defense Department is one of our, going to be one of our top stories this year. The U.S. De- Defense Department is the worst polluter on the planet. They have, contribute more to global warming, just the Iraq War, than 60% of the rest of the world. Just the Iraq War. Deadly substance, pesticides, defoliants, petroleum, lead, mercury, depleted uranium, one of the worst. And we did the depleted uranium story about five years ago, and, and just after it was, it was in the top ten, and just after it came out, they re-released a story saying, how Pentagon re-released a story saying the depleted uranium wasn't harmful. Yet the birth defects in Fallujah last year were 25%. One out of four kids was born with a birth defect in Iraq. And it's, it's, they're spiraling. And they're, they're showing that this is related to this radioactivity that we're leaving there that's going to be around for half a billion years. It's permanent radiation in whole swaths of Afghanistan and Iraq and Serbia, for that matter. So we're not only polluting the world, creating more CO2 gases than than most of the countries, um, but the military is completely exempt from any environmental regulations by the U.S. government. They can do whatever they want. We've got 1,000 military bases worldwide. We spend more on, on, on weapons and, and, and warfare than the rest of the world combined. And we're in partnerships with NATO. So NATO and the U.S., with all these bases, are the, the protectors of global corporate capitalism. They're the protectors of the World Bank, the neoliberal things, and, and the shock doctrine process that, that Naomi Klein writes about. That's, that's the agenda. That's the opposition. Those are the oppressors that we all collectively share. We're building up. We're going to do a $15 billion buildup in Guam. You don't know this. Massive expansion buildup military bases there. At the same time, worldwide, in terms of security, the World Bank now admits that 3 billion people live on less than $2.50 a day. That 44% of those, over a billion, live on less than $1.25 a day. So this means no phone calls, no nutritious food, no vacations, no television, no dental care, no inoculations. That's the structure of inequality. And that structure is maintained by the global military empire and corporate capitalism worldwide. And I'm not saying capitalism negatively. I'm talking about the big, huge corporate entities that are larger than most nations. And they're the ones that benefit, rob, and create this kind of poverty. As, as we understand that, and we understand that, you know, they're a piece of that. That this empire is a repression that addresses all of us. So these post-9-11 top-down decisions, military empire, are working very closely with newly expanding public relation groups that are feeding us this propaganda. There's three major groups since 2001 have been publicly merging. The largest is Omnicom, WPP, and Interpublic Group. 
These firms employ 163,000 people in 170 countries. They create the news. They will actually manufacture news um, or write up stories with a spin depending on who's paying them. So this is a lot of the ones that we knew from before. Young and Rubicon, Burston, Marcella, Ogilvy and Mather, Worldwide, Helen Nolan. Helen Nolan was the one that brought us, during the first Iraq war, the young woman before Congress named Nayira, who testified how she was a nurse in, in the Kuwaiti hospital, and she watched the Iraqi soldiers come in and, and dump the babies out of the incubators on the cold floor to die and steal the incubators and take them back to, to Baghdad. And she said this with tears flowing down her, down her face in front, of, in front of Congress and television, and we were all, were all outraged and, oh, this is terrible, and it wasn't true. It was a choreographed, she is trained, she was the daughter of, of the Kuwaiti ambassador. She was trained by Helen Nolan with the full knowledge of the White House. So that kind of deliberate lying, that's what we're up against. It's the Rendon group creating the, the toppling of the, of the statue of Saddam Hussein during, after the invasion. It's the, it's the Jessica Lidge story, the young private who was you know, injured in the, in the hospital and they they, they, Rendon gets them to delay going to get her because they simply the hospital called, hey, we got one of your soldiers, come get her. And they had to throw so the special forces going in and follow that on national TV. So we get this big story about Jessica Lynch. The same day, the rest of the world is finding out that we shelled the Palestine Hotel and killed journalists there. The tanks are rolling into Baghdad. We bombed Al Jazeera and killed one of their journalists. But we get Jessica Lynch. So there's a deliberate diversion Deliberate diversion of news stories or taking things out of the mix. Where, where's the Gulf um, oil thing now? Do you find it on, like, page 8? And they're, they're saying it's anywhere between 5,000 or 200,000. And the magnitude's incredible, and they can't fix it. And, you know, BP is going to say, oh, well, we're going to cover it all. It could be a trillion dollars, according to Wayne Madison. BP isn't even worth that much. So this disaster that's going on right now is, is, is devastating. They're doing everything they can to kind of protect capital globally in, in that respect. So what we find is that these big PR firms and the big media groups are working hand-in-hand hand to create the news top-down. And on the boards of directors are all of these big corporations, the banks, the military industrial companies, the Carlyle Group, Bechtel, Boeing, Halliburton, Lockheed Martin, all have people on the boards of directors of the biggest media groups in this country. And they're interlocked worldwide. So there is this rift between reality reporting, um, and, it's, and it's peaking. There's no longer just a credibility gap, but there's this terminology we've been using for three years now, this truth emergency. And it's, a, it's, it's not only keeping things concealed, but deliberately putting out misinformation. Deliberate countering as we come up with, with news and information. We're saying a million dead Iraqis, all of these things. Deliberately countering that. DU is not harmful to you, things like that. So it does create a reality that, that means that, there, that you can't tell what's real on television. It's like going to Disneyland. You know you're really there and you know it's not real. So, it's, you know, so that, that's this term, hypo-reality. And it's emotional. And it's titillating, and, and it's gossipy, and you kind of can get excited about the stuff that's going on. There's lots of visual images, and, and you can be scared or, or, or whatever. So you end up in this kind of excited delirium. 
but you don't know anything about what's going on or what the powerful are doing. So we, so we, you know, we have to build this truth movement from the, from the bottom up. And, and it's got to be bigger than just our single issues, whether it's, it's 9-11 or Israel-Palestine or propaganda um, or, or abortion or whatever side on any single issue that you're concerned about. Truth has to be much bigger than that. We have to address it. We can lay out the truth we, so we have access to information. We can find these things. Part of that, and we're really hoping, we've been working really hard getting other universities engaged in the kind of work that we do. We have 30 affiliate universities with Project Censored worldwide. We're, we're saying we're, we're internationalizing. And what's, what students will do in a classroom is they'll find an independent news story that they're interested in. They'll research it. They'll take it to a faculty member on campus who's an expert in that field. And then they'll validate that story, and they'll, they'll summarize it and post it on our website as a validated news story, which becomes a candidate for one of our top 25 for the year. And we're getting, we're getting input now from Spain, Germany, um, Chile, Argentina, um, Uruguay, Ecuador, and all over the country, Canada and, and the U.S. And we think that that'll grow. So we think that universities are a place where, where research, where fact-finding is done. And they're as much interested in that the university is as diverse as any other population. There's people that, you know, say, how could you possibly talk about 9-11? Well, we talk about it because we've looked at factual information, and we think it's, it's really true. We know that Building 7 falling down in six and a half seconds is a problem. We know that Bush, the bin Laden family, being flown out of the country is a problem. That Bush staying at the school in Florida for 20 minutes after they knew what was going on, or they probably knew before, is a problem. Um, the prior history of the hijackers linked to U.S. intelligence agencies is a problem. Uh, the pre-warnings, Able Danger, Steve Jones, the research from Copenhagen on the nanothermite, all of these are very serious issues. And we are again in our 2011 book going to cover some of the... We, uh, we have a story. Uh, it'll be in the top 25. It's called Increased Tensions with Unresolved 9-11 Issues. We get right in there with Richard Gage, David Ray Griffin... Cass Sunstein, and we just pull it together and say, hey, there's still a lot of tension going on around these issues, and these are factual stories that we think are very important. You're listening to Professor of Sociology and President of the Media Freedom Foundation, Dr. Peter Phillips. Today's show, The American Media Empire of Managed News. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now... Deep politics is, is more than, I mean, there's, there's a couple sides of this. Now, there's certainly the side of, of looking at the power structures, of an examining the global dominance group, which we did a couple of years ago. We put together a list of the, the 263 people inside of the military-industrial core that were pushing global domination of the world. That's, that chapter is actually in David Ray Griffin's Peter Dale Scott's book on intellectual speak out. And it's our attempt to put some parameters on who they are when we start saying they did this and they did that. We've we got to know who they are. That's part of what deep politics is about. We have to know more about Lockheed Martin, General Dynamics, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, Halliburton, SAIC, Boeing Group, the Carlisle Group, but, that, but also the think tanks that they work with. 
PNAC, the Hoover Institute, American Enterprise, Hudson Institute, Heritage Foundation. You know, these are the planners, networks of people that are engaging. And let's not forget the Trilateral Commission, because most of Obama's administration is straight out of the Rockefeller's Trilateral Commission. You know, so, so they're, they're like two wings of the global elite. And the more we can study that, the more we can identify who these players are and how they're involved and how, how they're involved with Congress. And, and we can show that 151 members of Congress are invested one of the top defense contractors. So they, you know, massively interlocked. And that $3.2 billion was spent lobbying Congress in 2008. That's $32,000 per day per member of Congress. And if you go there, maybe you can get to see your congressperson, but you're not certainly going to be spending $32,000 to do it. And that's corporate money. Power money. Top-down. Control. So, and we, we, and we know, I mean, that, that 40% of the people in the country question 9-11. But, you know, there's a, there's a fear. We get labeled. The more we get labeled as conspiracy theorists, as crazy nuts, as, 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 as that emerges, is an indication that, hey, we're on the right track. But there's a cost that goes with that. The state crimes against democracy piece that Mickey and I wrote. Now, this came from the, the part of it was we were looking at the, the work by Professor Lance DeHaven Smith from Florida State University who's part of a public administration network. And these public administrators, these people that study administrations and government processes and that, they've come up with this concept called SCAD, State Crimes Against Democracy. And that there are a number of proven crimes against democracy since World War II. McCarthyism's fabrication of, of communist infiltration, certainly the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, um, the burglary of Daniel Ellsberg's office to discredit him, the Watergate break-in, Iran-Contra, the 2000 election felon disenfranchise process, fixing the intelligence on weapons of mass destruction. Those were lies. Those were deliberate things, and we, we know it. It's true. There's evidence documenting all of those. Now, other suspected scads that they write about, of course, is the assassination of Lee Harvey Oswald, the shooting of George Wallace, the October surprise after the Carter administration, Antrax's uh, mailing to Dashiell and Leahy, Martin Luther King's assassination, collapse of Building 7. Um, these, these are scads that there's a lot of evidence that there's a real problem here, that there's some government crimes or, or power structure crimes, and it may not always be government because the interlocking of corporations and government is quite intense at the highest levels. There's revolving doors. So whether it's, you know, special ops out of Lockheed Martin or special ops out of, out of, you know, the CIA, it's still the same power structure. So, so these, these scads, so the term conspiracy theory is used to denigrate and discredit inquiry into state crimes against democracy. It's been used for a long time. And, you know, so labeling a scad as a conspiracy theory, is an effective method of preventing ongoing investigations from being reported in the media or anywhere else. And psychologist Lori Manuel addresses the psychological advantage that the SCAD actors hold because research shows that people are less willing to examine information that disputes rather than confirms their beliefs. 
A million dead Iraqi, though, it couldn't be that many. But it is. And so, you know, this is, this is what, you know, Steve Hoffman calls there must be a reason in his justification, um, a cognitive theory known as motivated reasoning. We tend to want to reason with what we kind of know and are motivated and believe in, what our values are, that sort of thing. And so when we get hit upside the head with something that just, like, contradicts it, we just want to ignore it. And this is psychological, but the actors that do these things know that. So they want, they're very careful to make sure that they continue to say, well, that person's crazy. Or Stephen Jones is discredited, or David Ray Griffin doesn't know what he's talking about, or you know, just however they live, they'll, they'll identify us individually, and 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 do that. So you know, we we covered in this piece uh, the thermite material at the World Trade Center, the research from uh, the the academic journal Open Chemistry, where the thermite has now been shown to be in the dust from the World Trade Center. We covered that in this piece. And we documented this, and we wrote a piece for the op-ed service we had been writing for, I'd been writing for for the last six years, called Minuteman Media. And we'd write, I'd probably written 60 op-eds for them. Except Minuteman Media was assumed and taken over by the Institute for Policy Studies in Washington six months ago. Now, I like the Institute of Policy. They do a lot of good work. But when we submitted this op-ed, they flat said, we're not going to cover that topic. And they said, well, that's, it's just unacceptable. And then they couched like, well, we don't like your writing style and stuff like that. You know, they kind of backed off saying, no, they were very topical. They said, we are not, she told me very directly, I'm not going to name names here. I'm just going to say, we were told very definitely that we don't like those truthers. They're obnoxious. They're interfering with the peace movement. Um, now, now, but listen here. Now, we're laughing, but, but there's some, there, there's some, images here that we have to deal with. And so our piece was censored. And so last week, it was time to send another one in. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to send in a new one. And I was written back and said, no, thank you. So we've been censored permanently from that, from that network. Which is, I mean, when we write something, we put it up on our site. It's on 50 websites in two days. So millions of people see it. But that's, that's part of the difficulty that we're, that we're faced with, particularly when we stick with, you know, a, a single issue. And we're adamant about our 9-11 issue, or we're adamant about what, whatever it is that we're dealing with, when the problem is much, much larger. All the people with the issues, truth emergency issues, have a common oppressor, this military-industrial media complex using U.S. military and, and NATO to dominate the world, and these huge mega corporations that are in all our pockets and they're everywhere and they're, and they're responsible for starvation and death and war. That's a much bigger thing. And so in a, in a sense, we're talking about going beyond just 9-11. And I don't say just 9-11 because we've certainly written about it and covered it and, and addressed the factual things as university professors that we see are important without speculating who did what, without the information. But we need to go beyond that and, and think in ways that we can involve each other, people that we disagree with fundamentally on some certain issue, single issues, or who may disagree with us, but can understand the common oppression. So one of the places that we might want to start to think about looking is what do we, what do we share in common? 
And what I start almost all my classes with is have my students read the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And it's 60 years old now, more than 60. A whole lot of people in San Francisco back in 1948 worked hard on this and around the world, the UN, to come up with a list from nations all over. Most nation, almost all nations have now signed on to this that says that human rights are part of what a human being is. Everyone has a right to life, liberty, and security of person. No person can be subject to torture or cruel or inhumane treatment. Everyone has a right to recognition everywhere as a person before the law. No one shall be subjected to arbitrary arrest, detention, or exile. No one shall be subject to arbitrary interference with the privacy, family, or home, their correspondence, their honor, their reputation. Everyone has a right to freedom of movement and residence within the borders of their state. Everyone has a right to a nationality. Everyone has a right to own property in association with others. Everyone has a right to change their religion, belief, or freedom uh, and, and, and be public about it. Everyone has a right to freedom of peaceably assemble and association. I mean, these are pretty basic things. I don't ever get any disagreement from my college classes. Everyone has a right to work. Everyone has a right to rest and leisure. Everyone has a right to a standard of living adequate for health and well-being of himself and herself, including food and clothing, housing, medical care. There's nothing wrong with this. This is some commonality that, that the, the oppressed, and that's 90% of us who, where our wages have been going down for 35 years. It's the, the bulk of 3 billion who are starving in the world that have nothing. These are the commonalities of who we are. And finding these commonalities, engaging in these commonalities and these beliefs, sharing these, no matter what our single issues are, is absolutely vital. We're going to go into deep politics. We have to look deep into ourselves and not only address the power elite and who they are, but look inside of ourselves deeply and inside of others deeply to build relationships, to build understandings of who the oppressors are and what we share in common. So we can't just, you know, call people gatekeepers because they won't talk about 9-11 when, when Chomsky has done so much to address the powerful in the world. We can't just, you know, say, well... Amy Goodman won't cover this when she's done so much to bring many of these issues forward. So, just speaking here in terms of this deep politics, that this is our responsibility as activists to be as open as possible, to find some commonalities, to reach out and to make some changes in the world, not giving up on what we believe, but finding truth and honesty in the others and there's some, there's some working points that we can do together. And I think my time is up, so thank you very much. You're listening to Professor of Sociology and President of the Media Freedom Foundation, Dr. Peter Phillips. Today's show, The American Media Empire of Managed News. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Peter Phillips, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me, Bonnie. Peter, in your presentation on the media, you mentioned three major groups, Omnicom, WPP, and Interpublic Group. What are these groups? Well, these are big public relation firms that operate all over the world in just about every country. Um, they have over 170,000 employees, and they package news stories for clients. The client could be the Pentagon. The client could be, you know, the, the, the government and cabal. It could be anybody. 
but they'll try to present a, a spin on the story that is favorable to uh, what they're doing. And that's what public relations firms do. And that's an increasingly major portion of what we see passing for news in corporate media today. Well, then you went on to mention the names of public relations firms that I am actually familiar with, like Burson, Marsteller, or whatever. But do these three major groups then own these public relations firms? Is that the deal? That's what's happened in the last decade is we've seen the consolidation of these big firms. So Burson, Marsteller, and some of Helen Nolan are all part of these big subgroups. So then one of your major points in your presentation is that not only has news media consolidated, but the public relations industry has consolidated. Is that right? Quite significantly. And, and, the, and the U.S. government in particular, the Pentagon, is spending billions of dollars packaging news stories. I mean, so what we're faced with today is literally managed news inside corporate media uh, throughout the world. And this is global. It's, um, it's control of content. And uh, you see it reflected uh, in stories that come up every day. Now, you also mentioned in your talk, you spoke a little bit about how uh, the news has evolved since 9-11 and that now news media is actually disseminating disinformation. Didn't former Defense Chief Rumsfeld say that it was going to be Pentagon policy to disseminate disinformation uh, in the media? Ideally, the law is pretty clear that we can only do this for foreign governments and people outside the U.S., but because of the way media is today in the world and it's so concentrated, if they're, if they're doing a propaganda piece that's directed at the people in Iran or, or Iraq, everybody, everybody in the world can see it. So it becomes, it becomes part of the global propaganda model of controlling information that's very much part of the U.S. NATO military empire in the world. So, of course, if they're disseminating misinformation in Iraq or some other country, that is picked up by our news media, isn't it? Well, it can, definitely. It, can, it certainly is part of it. So you'll see a, a report, maybe AP will come out with it, but it's really in, originating inside the psychops and, and the, and the uh, PR people that are working in the, in the Pentagon of how 100,000 civilians have died in, in, in Iraq since the beginning of the war. And that's a complete contradiction to the actual million people have died. And, uh, but they'll run a story like that as, as partly factual based upon counts of bodies in hospitals in Baghdad, essentially, uh, or newspaper reports, which are about 10% of the total. Now, you said something about it being against the law to disseminate disinformation nationally. Is that right? Yeah, the... the, the it's pretty clear that the U.S. government is not supposed to lie to the American people directly. I mean, we're not supposed to. But you'll get a story that's that's part, partly covers an issue, or you'll, like the, the WikiLeaks issue that has just come up this past week. Um, they'll say, yes, the WikiLeaks are um, significant. They could undermine the security of the national forces. So that's the spin that, that the, the story gets. When, in fact, the rest of the world is seeing things like battalion... 383, which is the assassination unit inside Iraq that will target people, individuals. 2,000 individuals are on the list, and they'll go out and they'll kill them. 
And, I mean, so this is a deliberate assassination process that individualizes the war. So you're not just dealing with insurgents. You're identifying a particular person who is to, be, who is to die. The CIA, lawyers, and the Pentagon will look at and make these lists up in consultation with, with the government in, in, in Afghanistan and Iraq and identify who these people are that need to die. And that, that's, that's a whole different way. Now, even the New York Times is spinning, oh, that's a good way to do counterinsurgency. But, but you're still looking at an individual person, and the collateral damage has been going with that, and that, that's a euphemism term in itself. The numbers of civilians that died have been hundreds and hundreds in many of these incidences where they'll target a house where they know a person is, and, and everybody in the house will be killed. So the WikiLeaks document hundreds of civilian deaths that are unnecessary because of this target assassination process. That wasn't mentioned in the New York Times other than a very brief line on 383. The Washington Post didn't cover it other than in an op-ed. Most newspapers in the United States didn't say a thing about it, Uh, yet it was front-page coverage in newspapers all over the world, particularly in England and Canada. Well, that brings me to my next question, uh, which I guess you've just answered, was that what was your view of how the WikiLeaks uh, military intelligence documents are being handled by the major media? Well, I'm a person who believes in full transparency. I mean, if you're going to go out and be killing people in the world, like right now, the United States has special operations forces um, in 75 countries throughout the world. This is more than Bush had. So under the Obama administration, we've actually increased this strategy where we'll have special operations forces in countries in Africa, in the Middle East, in South America, who are, who are there to kill people. They are there to assassinate in- individuals. This, this, is a, this is a global issue, and it's very important that WikiLeaks has, has laid it out, certainly to an extent, but we, you don't see the global package in, in terms of how this has been covered. But the London Times reported in June that we now have special forces operating in, in 75 countries, but you don't get that report here in the U.S. And speaking of the drone attacks, uh, what about the U.S. citizen that is now residing in Yemen? He, he was an imam that, uh, that ran a mosque, I believe, on the East Coast. He's an American citizen, and I believe that they said they were going to send a drone over there and assassinate him. He's on the target list to be killed. There's people all over the world that are on target lists now. This is part of the U.S., NATO, military, industrial, media empire of total global domination. And if you resist, and you resist and you're outside the U.S., they can kill you. As far as we know, they're not assassinating people in the U.S. yet, but they certainly have those capabilities. And as you say, as far as we know, right? As far as we know, correct. Now, you mentioned Obama and Bush, and uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, in your view, how does the Obama administration compare with that of the second Bush administration? Well, they're actually greater warfare, certainly in Afghanistan. It's been phased down a bit in Iraq, but just people are, are still dying in, in hundreds and hundreds per month. And um, what we're seeing is, is a global operation. So there, there's very little difference. In fact, the ACLU just came up with a report on civil liberties and says the Obama administration is actually worse than Bush. They made no corrections of what Bush did, and they're expanding further the imperial presidency and, and the top-down control. They got better PR people spinning it like, isn't this great? We're trying so hard to do things. But very little has changed. 
Now, Peter, you mentioned uh, the the recent uh, WikiLeaks uh, documents from uh, U.S. intelligence. Did you find the WikiLeaks U.S. intelligence on Pakistan's collaboration with Taliban and insurgents believable? That is to say, these revelations regarding Pakistan play right into U.S. military strategy regarding Pakistan, don't they? I think what we have to do is look at what the overall agenda is in, in terms of our, our geopolitical policies from the U.S. It's not just to occupy Iraq. It's not just to occupy Afghanistan. It is to control China, control Russia, surround them literally, and build literally a military empire that controls all of the Middle East and all of the oil resources in the world. Now, to do this, part of a strategy is that you create chaos. So the more chaos there is in the world, the more you balkanize the world to what we did with Yugoslavia, or you do that in Iraq or other parts of the world, we break it into tribal fiefdoms and, and, and kind of so nobody is strong enough to challenge you, become the global police force. You become the dominant military power in the world. That's deliberate. And, it, and it, you know, if you have peace and you can't continue to do that. So one side of what the CIA will do is to encourage groups like ISI, which we've been working with for three generations now since, since the Russians were in Afghanistan, um, and that ISI was directly working with the Taliban and had been, been for decades. So to think that those connections aren't still there, it, it would be pretty false thinking. But the overall goal is to create, continue to create chaos and tension multiple places in the world, whether it's Israel-Palestine or Colombia-Venezuela or any place where people's, people's movements are resisting the neoliberal imperial empire of, of U.S. control. Um, that's, that's the agenda. So you stir the pot in making it more justified for you to be going in uh, militarily. And these military industrial companies are making fortunes off of this. I mean, there's a profit to be made in war. And, and so we have to think of that our, our primary industry as a government in, it is war making. We sell the weapons of war to the world, and we're using and creating situations that result in um, our justify our need to occupy those areas. And creating, uh, uh, creating chaos in the world, that includes Pakistan, right? Definitely includes Pakistan. It includes India. It includes anywhere. That the more fragmented the world is and at each other's throats, the greater the strength of, of a single occupying force worldwide and the more importance that it plays. Now, Peter, do you feel that the corporations are uh, stronger than the government? How does that all uh, uh, play out? They're interlocked. I mean, the big corporations, particularly the, the, the military companies now, are they're subcontract. They have secret national security status right inside, equal to anybody inside the Pentagon. And so they're doing interlocks. But they're part of this whole total information awareness package. So Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman and DynCorp, they're all in the business of collecting information on people worldwide. Now, so it's, you know, the whole thing when Poindexter was going to have total information awareness and Congress, oh, wait a minute, we don't want that. We don't want everybody being spied on. The corporations are doing that now. So TRW, what you had for lunch on your credit card yesterday, is part of that system. And we can find out literally anything about 
people individually, and then they can sell that to the Pentagon. They can do analysis of that and see if there's networks of people that might want to be suspicious or take a look at. So it's a very, very powerful source of information, and that's greatly expanding and developing now um, throughout, throughout the world. Now, in the beginning, we mentioned the public relations firms. Now, the public relations firms are no longer solely doing public relations. I mean, they actually have, under their purview, uh, defense military type of, uh, of activities, don't they? Well, to, certainly to a certain extent. I mean, it's not just packaging a news story. It's the timeliness of which you release it. So when McChrystal was being fired, and, you know, he's been, Seymour Hirsch was saying he's the one that was behind a lot of this assassination uh, attempts worldwide. So when he's, when he's terminated, right at that time, the trillion-dollar resource story comes out about all these minerals and wealth that's in Afghanistan as a justification, as a diversion from what was really happening, but also as a justification for the importance of why we're going to be there. And uh, mentioning uh, McChrystal, I noticed that uh, Secretary of Defense Gates and other people in the military seemed to be heartbroken that he was uh, uh, not going to be in charge of Afghanistan anymore. But I remember uh, stories back when he was in Iraq that he was actually running the torture chambers at the Baghdad airport. Isn't that right? He was in in charge of the Southern Operation Command, which had the special forces worldwide. Um, that we're doing assassinations in countries all over. This is what Seymour Hersh had reported on. And um, so we've seen, we've seen that kind of a story emerging and, and, and talking about. So, you know, so not only is there deliberate news insertion of stories that are um, countering what's being put out, um, but there'll be diversionary stories that come out in a very broad way as well. In, in, in the meantime, too, was, of course, the Israel's attack on the, on the Freedom Fotella and how that was managed. I mean, the news management on that was total. So anybody who was there, anybody who had cameras, none of that was able to get out until days later so that most of the people in the world were getting this idea that the, that the paratroopers that were attacking the Freedom Fotella ships were, in fact, beaten and attacked you know, by these vicious uh, unarmed people on board, and therefore they had to kill them. I mean, that's how the story got spun. So, and and, and that, that's tragic. I mean, that's, a, that's an undermining of truth in a very big way, meaning that's why we use the terminology, there's a truth emergency in the world today. Exactly, and since the media, the major media, is how most people get their information, it's very, it, it's truly frightening. Deliberate news management undermines the freedom of information and the, uh, what the powerful are doing in the military, uh, in the government, in the corporations. If we don't have that, we don't have a democracy. Peter Phillips, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Bonnie. There's something happening, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there. I've been speaking with Dr. Peter Phillips. Today's show has been The American Media Empire of Managed News. Peter Phillips is Professor of Sociology at Sonoma State University, Director Emeritus of Project Censored, and co-editor of Project Censored's new Censored 2011, the top 25 censored news stories of the past year. Project Censored is affiliated with 30 universities worldwide, where classes evaluate independent news stories for accuracy and importance. 
Peter Phillips has completed several investigative research studies, including the Global Dominance Group, 9-11 Pre-Warnings and Election Irregularities in Context, a study of bias in the Associated Press, Practices in Healthcare and Disability Insurance, Deny, Delay, Diminish, and Blame, U.S. Electromagnetic Weapons and Human Rights, Building a Public Ivy, Diversity at Three California State Universities, and The Left Progressive Media Inside the Propaganda Model. Visit the Project Censored website at www.projectcensored.org. That's projectcensored.org. Thanks to Hamook and Ken Jenkins of 911tv.org for today's audio. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yaramako. To leave comments or order copies of shows, email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Or call 510-848-6767, extension 628. Peace, give thanks, live life, and release. You dig me?